open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter number one, please. Proverbs chapter number one. Last Sunday, I mean last Wednesday, I began a Bible study on the book of Proverbs. Not through the book of Proverbs, but on the book of Proverbs. I think this book right here has probably been the book in my personal life. I says, yeah, I got saved right out of high school, not knowing hardly anything about the Bible, not hardly anything about God or about finances or about family. My, my grandfather was a sharecropper. My dad at times was a sharecropper, a millwright worker. The only thing that they left our family basically was debt. No, no inheritance, didn't know how to handle money. No emphasis on the family. Most of our family usually had some kind of a drinking problem. Several of our family members died because of alcohol. I, I'm thankful that my mother had some influence on me, and she she loved me, and she encouraged me to stay away from what was destroying the rest of our family, and I did, and not because I was saved, just because my mother loved me, and she put some of that in me, and I just stayed away from the alcohol and from the drugs, and I give her, I give her credit for that, but when I got born again, you know, I was so thankful to be saved. I mean, I, I maybe you, you think that an 18-year-old young man... <coughs> hasn't lived long enough to sin enough or be down there where some people are. All I can tell you is is I had a weight on my heart and on my conscience. And I knew that if I died, I knew that I deserved to go to hell. I knew that. Now, and I knew that when I heard the gospel and I found out what Jesus did for me, I remember a restless, sleepless Friday night. And I got up the next morning and I went to see the, the pastor of the church, and he was pulling out of the driveway. And I was pulling in, and I said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. He said, what is it? And he said, I, I said, listen, I need to be saved. And so, you know, that's a good. A, a preacher would always that's like to right. somebody pulling out of the driveway and say that. But we went in his office, and we went through the Word of God again. He wanted to make sure I understood, and I did understand, because I'd been sitting under his preaching for about six months. God was pulling the layers back on me and showing me what I was. Not what I thought I was, but what I was. And I didn't like what I saw. And I, I told him that in any way. I got on my knees and I asked the Lord to save me. And the peace of God that I had never known before came into my heart. Amen. And the fear that I had experienced at night went away. Yeah. And it's been there now for over 40 years. That right. peace has been in my heart. Peace with God. And so I don't think there's a particular age of where you are more excited about being saved or not. I'm just thankful. But when I got born again and got saved, I just didn't know much about life other than what my what your kinfolks have taught you. You know, and you know, in other words, you, you, when you, you think what your kinfolks are teaching you is normal. But when you get in the Word of God, you find out they're not that normal. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're changing directions now. Okay? And so, you know, I said, well, what? so a preacher challenged me to start reading through the book of Proverbs that would help me. In every area of my life, if I would just read through this thing. And so as I began to read through it, I didn't like some of the things that I saw about me when I read the book of Proverbs. 
As I told you, the book of Proverbs, a lot of us people, a lot of people make a mistake trying to stay through the book of Proverbs verse by verse. I think that's unwise. I think that you need to take the book of Proverbs and understand that God has made it like a thousand-piece puzzle. And uh, if you've ever put a puzzle together, the easiest way to do it is to take the front of the box and set it on the page, right? And then you take some of the yellow pieces, you put them over here, you put the red pieces over here, you put these pieces over there, and then you begin to form what you see on the box, you begin to put it together. The book of Proverbs is like that. What you do is you pull out the verses that mention the scorner. You pull out the verses that mention the wise man. You pull out the verses that mentions the fool. You mention you pull out the verses that mention the simple man or the you know, we call it the virtuous woman, and then we have the whorish woman or the strange woman. All of that is in there, but you gotta pull those verses out. It takes a little time. Right. It takes a little time, a little effort to do that. But you'll begin to see the pictures, but that's not my goal is. My goal was to be able to recognize them when I saw them in my life. And I needed some wise men in my life. Okay, so what is a wise man? Okay, right? I need to know. Okay, and uh, who are the foolish? I need to know who to stay away from. Not just to get close to, but who to stay away from. The book of Proverbs is a wealthy book to help you with those practical things. Now, I want you to look with me in Proverbs chapter number 1. Now, I mentioned last week, as we read these verses here in just a moment, we talked about the penman. The primary penman of the book of Proverbs was Solomon, King Solomon. I encourage you to understand, when you read through the book of Proverbs, that your confidence in the book of Proverbs should not rest in Solomon, because it's not his wisdom. It is God's wisdom that was given to him. So I don't even think about Solomon when I'm reading and searching for the wisdom of God. God gave this through him. Right. He was the instrument. Yes. But how did he get that wisdom? Because the Bible makes it very clear that there are two kinds of wisdom. Amen. There is a wisdom that comes from above. Right. Right. And there is a wisdom that is already down here. That is from beneath. Okay. So I need to be able to recognize those two. Solomon... When God appeared to him and said, hey, tell me what you'd like to have. What would you tell him? If he showed up tonight in in your house and he said, tell me what you want. I thought that was sirens on the highway. That's some kids hollering in the gym. Did you close that gym door, brother? Zach just closes that one. Okay. You know what? That's a good sound. That's right. Amen. That's a good sound. So Solomon, when God asked him what he wanted, I'll tell you what he revealed to the Lord. He, we see in him and his cry for wisdom his evaluation of himself. Right. He said, I am but a little child. And I promise you tonight, I promise you, that God desires to give you wisdom. Yes. But he doesn't just give it to anybody. Right. There are some who seek after wisdom and can't find it because they're unteachable. That's right. But Solomon evaluated himself, and he says, I am a little child. I know not how to go out and come in. Now listen, if you want to get some wisdom from God, it's okay to feel inadequate. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, that's probably one of the first steps to getting it from God is feeling inadequate. Right. As a wife, as a mother, as a husband, as a pastor, 
as a son, as a co-worker, as an employer, as an employee, whatever, you're going to need some wisdom from God. So the problem with some folks is, is that they really, they're just too smart for their britches. They don't know as much as they think they do. Right. And they think that school knowledge and information and education is the same <coughs> as wisdom that comes from God. Now listen, I believe that wisdom does not bypass knowledge. And, and wisdom does not rejoice in you being a gourdhead or being a dummy. Because I think if you have the wisdom of God, you'll seek knowledge. You'll seek information. Yes, yes. You will. But, but, but Brother Mark, he evaluated himself. And when I was 18 years of age, I began to read through that. I said, Lord, as I evaluate myself, I see a fool. I see a foolish young man. And I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be a fool. And I meant that with tears in my heart, and my eyes, and my heart. But also his evaluation of other people. He said, these are your people. These are great people. One of the things that hurts you from getting help from God is when you come to church with an attitude and you think the people of God down at the church house are just a bunch of scumbags and you're always critical of them, you're always finding fault with them, and you can't see that most of them are trying to go in the right direction. Right. If right. you're looking for perfection, you're in the wrong place. That's right. But yeah. I am looking for a church that's going in the right direction. Right. Amen. I am looking for that. Amen. If you and I are going to walk together, we're going to be going in the same direction. Right. Is that correct? That's right. We've got to be in agreement. But also, his earnest request. He asked God to give him wisdom, not wealth. That's what he asked him for. Wisdom, not wealth. Some folks want wisdom so they can get wealth. He just wanted wisdom so that he could minister and be a help and a blessing to other people. And I told you before, if you want to get something from God, ask him so that you might be a blessing. Not Don't just ask him so you can get. Right. But ask Amen. him so you can give. And, and be able to be a blessing to us. Now let's look at chapter 1 here. Why a book is written, I think, is the key to properly interpreting that book. And the book of Proverbs tells you this in chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Look at this. To Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, he says, to know, if you highlight in your Bible or mark in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight the word know. To know wisdom and instruction. To perceive, I'd highlight that one. To know wisdom, to perceive the words of understanding. Number three is in verse three. The word receive. These are all action words. Know, to know, to perceive, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And then verse four, to give. So you have these words here, to know, to perceive, to receive, and to give. This is the purpose of the book of Proverbs, is to help you in all of these particular areas. Do you agree with me there are times uh, when uh, it's not right to listen to instruction? Hmm? Do you think it's always right to listen to instruction? Or does it depend on who's doing the instructing and what are they saying? Right. If you perceive in a man that doesn't have the lips of knowledge, the Bible says get away from him. Get away from him. In other words, you'll come up on somebody and they're just, you know, they are... A fool is known by a multitude of words. 
When you get around somebody that completely is always dominating the conversation, usually it'll be about them most of the time. Amen. Right. And when you get around someone like that, may God give you some perception to say, you know what, I don't need this guy in my life. Now be polite. But it'd be best if you just kind of walk away or, or don't let that person influence you who is always, always talking. If you perceive in them not the lips of knowledge. Okay, now let's look at this. To know wisdom, verse number two. To know wisdom. Would you recognize wisdom if you saw it? To know wisdom. Would you be able to walk through, uh, maybe go into a church and, and be a part of that church for a little while and be able to recognize or perceive who in this church has some godly wisdom and who does not? Would you be able to perceive? Would you know wisdom when you ran into it? Would you know a woman that has some wisdom when you bumped into it? Okay? Now let's talk about that for just a moment. Okay? Turn with me to James chapter 3 real quick. It's necessary that we look at this. James chapter number 3. You'll notice in the passage that we looked at three times the word instruction was given. Man, I sure want to be a wise man. And here I am, 65 years of age, and I still ask God every single day when I get up, I ask you, God, please give me some wisdom. Did you know the Bible says if a man will handle a matter wisely, that he'll find good? If you'll handle a matter wisely, you'll find good. You're going to run into some situations that are not good. And you're going to need wisdom from God to be able to handle that situation to find some good in right. it. Right. So, James chapter 1, this thing right here it, it, is so important. Do you believe that God wants you to have wisdom? Anybody here? Yes, <laughs> yes he is very pleased with it. And he says here in verse number 5, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if any of you lack wisdom. Did I tell you to turn to chapter 3? Yeah. See, my brain's running faster than my lips That's right, right. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get ahead. I'm getting ahead of myself. But in chapter 1, verse number 3, let's hit that one for up. James chapter 1 and verse 5. I want to encourage you to understand that God <coughs> wants wise sons and wise daughters. Verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, now you would have to acknowledge that you lack it. It would require some humility on your part. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So I'm, I'm understanding that my father has the disposition to want to give this to me. If one of my children came to my home tonight and said, Dad, can I talk to you for a little while? Would you please advise me on this? Would you please give me some wisdom in this particular area? Well, I'd be tickled to death. Do you think I'd say, look, you know what time it is? Hit that door. Come back tomorrow. There's no way I would do that. I would be excited that my son or my daughters would want a word from the Lord or some wisdom from their father. And our Heavenly Father wants that ten times more than we do. That's right. Us. 
Nothing that will grieve you and vex you and break your heart to a thousand pieces more than a son or daughter that acts foolishly and makes unwise decisions. Bad decisions, sometimes you don't get to recover everything that you lose in bad decisions. Bad decisions have domino effects. It kicks over another domino, and it affects other people in your life, in your family. Look in chapter 3 with me, if you would, please. Now, I need you to understand that there are two kinds of wisdom. You've heard this before, I'm sure. I'm sure of that. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Why? You know why? Because you've slept since then. Amen? Hey, Don't hey, sleep man. tonight now, okay? All right. Just, won't, just wait. <laughs> Listen, I know you men are tired. I appreciate the fact that you come to church on Wednesday night after a long, hard day. Amen. Does it bother me when a man comes in and he's got dirt on his clothes so he can get to church? That don't bother me at all. That's right. Amen. James chapter 3, look at this. Look in verse number 13. He says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? If I ask you to write down five men in East River Baptist Church that you would consider to be wise men, could you pick out five? Now, all, all wise men are not wise in all the same areas, right? But God is going to give men in a church and some women some wisdom. And you need to understand you're not in this alone. Right, right. And God's gotten there to help you. Right. If you'll be willing to seek it out and say, hey, man, I... Because if I'm coming if I'm coming to Brother Mike and I say, Brother Mike, I need to talk to you about something. I can't figure this out. I need you to help me with this. Can you see the solution to this? What am I admitting right there? I'm admitting that I... Okay, so in, so here's let's look at this now. Let's look in verse number 14, 15, and 16, and 17. Look at this. You have to, the book of Proverbs is written for you to be able to know wisdom and understand it. That means you've got to be able to recognize godly wisdom. That's right. <clears throat> verse 14 says, now this is a person who does not have the right kind of wisdom. If they have bitter envying and strife in their hearts. The Bible says, glory not, lie not against the truth. When you, at, when, when, when you talk to them and they say, man, ain't nothing bothering me, but yet there's bitterness that comes out of their mouth. Right, right. What's troubling you? I ain't got any problem. Mind your own business. There's a problem there. Okay? And he says in verse 15, this wisdom... This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is, he gives three traits of this. He says it is earthly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. Wow. When he says earthly, what do you think that means? To you, what does that mean? When he says that the wisdom is earthly, I'm sorry? Of the flesh? Of the flesh? Yes, sir. That's correct. It is of the flesh. But the word sensual also is of the flesh. So let's try to, let's add something else to it other than the flesh. When, when it's earthly. Somebody's giving you some wisdom, but it's earthly wisdom. Okay, so what does that mean? you got to recognize this. Here's what it means. 
It means they are giving you counsel that will help you to live in the life that is temporary. But not in the life that is eternal and that matters at the judgment bar of God. They will give you wisdom that is good short term. Right. But not wisdom that will help you long term. Earthly. It means temporary. It means you're about you're about here, but not beyond this. It's it's not it's not thinking. It's walking by sight. It's not walking by faith. You and I believe that there is an invisible world that is not imaginary. Right. Amen? Amen. Okay, now it's earthly. This is life under the sun. This is the kind that operates without God. Alright, the second one is sensual. He mentioned the word flesh. When you think of the word sensual or senses, what do you think about? Now when you say, does that man have any sense? That's not what I'm talking about, okay? What about the word sensual? What do you think to you, what does that mean? I need a little, I need you to talk back, but talk to me. Natural. Good. Okay. What's that? Natural. Natural. Fleshly, as he said. Soulish. Usually it means that that wisdom is controlled by fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. People who are afraid, well, you better do this because I'm afraid that this, if you don't do this, I'm scared. That is the way they operate. They operate out of fear. They're afraid. They have no faith in God. Right. They operate with what they see. And what they feel and what they're frustrated about. That's how they operate. Be careful who you get counsel from. Right. Somebody will help you ruin your life. Yeah. That's Amen. what they will do. What's the word devilish? Prideful. Prideful. When you think of the devil, you ought to think of pride. Now, where pride is, what, what also comes with that usually? Where pride is, there's usually what? Somebody said contention, strife, self-will. Self okay? So, when it comes to pride, usually, then when he talks about this, let's look at this. He says, it's earthly and sensual and devilish. It is self-willed. You're never more like the devil than when you are self-willed. That is true, brother. When worldly wisdom is operating, let's read the other verses. It says, for verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And I promise you, this is what dismantles and disrupts and divides churches. Right. It is people who operate on this realm. And they bring confusion and contention into the assembly where envying and strife is. If I'm envious of you, if I can't have what you have, I don't want you to have what you have. If I'm covetous, I want what you have and I'm going to try to get it. But if I'm envious, I know I'll never have it. But I don't want you to have it either. Yeah. Okay? All right? And so that, 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 that permeates sometimes the church because it's something that works on the inside can say things subtly to harm people and hurt people and really hurt people's kids 
and hurt, especially when kids are in their teenage years, they're very vulnerable to what people have to say. And if somebody is envious and jealous, they can say some things that really cause confusion in the assembly. Now, let's look at the other one. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above. Now, that's what I'm interested in. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. There is nothing sensual. If you're walking around and you're talking to someone who has godly wisdom, they are not a sensual person. They are not a suggestive person. Now I like to joke around. Don't you like to cut up, have to laugh, have a good time? Can you carry that too far? Can you say things you ought not to say? And you say, oh, I was just joking. But you sent a message with your joke. Right. Because you were being suggestive is what you were being. Out of your sensual nature. So when he says that you have some godly wisdom, he's saying that there's nothing sensual, and talking about pure. You're nothing sensual, suggestive, deceptive, or wicked about the way you talk and carry and handle yourself. So if he's a wise man, you should be able, if this room was empty, and only three chairs, and here's the man that you're, you have confidence in, and then there's another chair with your wife in it, and there's another chair with your child in it, and, uh, and your billfold is laying on the floor. You should be able to walk out that door and not worry about your billfold or your child or your wife in the presence of that man. Right. That's a fact. Amen. Amen. That's a fact. Amen. If he's a wise man, he's a pure, and, and, and that woman is pure in those particular areas. Right. There's nothing yeah. about them that is suggestive. There's no, there's no, there's no jokes that are suggestive. Yeah. No, it's good. Now there's plenty of jokes that are funny without being suggestive, right. and sensual. All right. The second one is peaceable. A man with godly wisdom does not look for points of contention, but rather to point contact with people. And the man who glories in his reputation for always being in conflict with other people, and there are preachers like that. They glory in contention because it's a whole lot easier to be contentious than it is to be charitable. Because you don't need the Holy Ghost to be contentious, but you do need Him to have some charity in your heart. That's good. So being peaceable, you're looking for a solution. In other words, a wise man is looking for a solution. You're not looking for reasons just to cut people out. He's looking to build some bridges if possible. Sometimes there aren't. It isn't possible. The word gentle. Now that's a word independent Baptist doesn't like. The word gentle. God says that a wise man... We get the word gentleman. When we hear the word gentleman, we think about somebody that's courteous. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. He, he got well-trained manners. But this word gentle, you're looking for someone who, who contrary to what men think that a man ought to be, God wants him to be a gentle individual, but firm. Gentle, but firm. Amen? Amen. Amen. A gentle individual. You don't have to be mean and rough to be right with God. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Number four, easily entreated. What does that mean to you? Approachable. Approachable.
approachable? Is that what you said? Yes, sir. You agree with that? Easily approached by other people. Have you ever said this about someone? Man, he's just so easy to talk to. One of the reasons why that person, that man or that woman might be easy to talk to is because they actually listen. Sometimes you try to talk to somebody, they cut you off before you can get your sentence out of your mouth. Because they're not interested in what you have to say. They're interested in you hearing what they have to say. But a wise man learns to listen. To be quiet and listen to what other people have to say. But listen, honestly, when you're talking about being easily treated, that means people can approach you. Can you think of somebody in the Old Testament his name means the opposite of wise. And nobody could approach him and talk to him when there was a problem. Nabal. Nabal was a fool. His servants and his family could not approach him. Because he would get angry. When he was approached about something, he would get angry. I'm going to tell you something about anger now. As a father, as a husband, as a pastor... If you're always reacting when somebody comes to you and, 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 and you, you blow up and then you wonder why they don't come and talk to you the second time or the third time, it is because they go to mom and say, Mom, I'd like to tell Daddy, but I know if I tell him, he's going to blow a gasket. So what do they do? They start working around you. Right. <clears throat> and then you blame them when something really slips, breaks, and tears. You go up to him and say, how come you didn't come and tell me that? Right. Well, that's why I didn't come and tell you that. Right. You see, because they were afraid to tell you. You want to be able to be approachable. I would like for my children to be able to come to me and tell me anything that needs to be told to me without me immediately reacting to it and responding to it in anger. Now, I have the right to get angry if it's really bad, but I don't want to be soon angry. Right, right. I don't want to be soon angry about it. Did you know it's okay for a pastor to be angry? He just can't be given to it. He can't be quick-tempered about it. Right. If a man doesn't have any temper, if he doesn't have any anger, he doesn't care about anything. Right. Is that right? I mean, if he never gets mad about nothing, he don't care about anybody or anything. True. Are y'all still with me? Amen. Amen. All right. Easily entreated. So I'm looking for some people in my life, like a brother Gregory, who's got some godly wisdom that I can, and I, I, I called out to him. I don't know, you don't, you don't know the story between behind me and brother Gregory, but brother Gregory was a missionary. There was a, a church plant in South Louisiana many decades ago. He was one of the first guys there in South Louisiana working there. And he was there for about a year or two and, and turned it from a mission into a church. And then he left and, and went to Mississippi and into the mission field to Germany and Liechtenstein. I didn't know him from Adam. God eventually sends me to the same place. And I'm there 14 years. We're supporting him as a missionary. That's how the church is supporting him as a missionary. That's how I met him. And so once I got to meet him, when he came by, and we got to connect with each other. When I needed counsel, I would write him uh, all the way back, back was before 
email. Now, that's a long time ago. So snail mail. I mean, you know, I, I would write him. I'd say, man, what about this and what about that? And, man, he would give me such good, godly counsel. Good. It's good. you got to have some people like that in your life. Amen. And he's easily intrigued. He's easy to talk to. Amen. Amen. I believe that wise people have a sense of humor, but they're not silly. Right. Amen. 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 I'm not interested in being somber. I'm interested in being in, in being cheerful and having some joy. Amen. All right, but notice it says here, merciful. And what it says there, without without partiality. Let me back up a little bit. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. Who was the Old Testament prophet that said, "Here's what pleases the Lord." Who was that said that? Was it Hosea, Amos, one of those guys? Said, hey, here's what the good things that God loves. He says, I want you to love mercy, justice, and judgment. And, I'm sorry? Micah. That's who it was. Thank you, sister. Micah 6 8. These are the things that the Lord is pleased with. He's talking about you doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly before the Lord. God is a merciful God. I was praying about that just a minute ago. God is a merciful God, and He loves for me and you Amen. to show mercy. We have been shown mercy, and He wants us to show mercy. Amen. Now, what does that mean when you think about showing mercy? That means you can't just let everything go. If you're a wise man, you can't just let everything go. You've got to take a stand somewhere. But when you see a situation, whether you know that somebody is really trying and they, they failed, or somebody is really trying to go in the right direction, we're not talking about somebody that's obstinate and rebellious and wicked and ungodly and trying to destroy everything. Right. We're talking about someone who sometimes trips and falls and messes up and they say, oh, I'm sorry. So being merciful, we need to remember that. And so when you talk to somebody about this, full of mercy, a wise man is full of mercy because he knows he's received mercy. Good fruits. Fruit is not for the tree. Correct? Right. It is for the people that go by the tree. You know what? If I'm, if, if I'm a part of your life, and brother, you've been a good tree, I have gotten some good things just being around you. It's been good for me. Okay? Some of you folks in here, just being around you, I've gotten some things from you. What I mean by that is, a wise man, people feel like they just benefit by just being around them. You know, just say, man, it's just good to be around this brother, around this sister. I don't leave there feeling like I got into a conversation I shouldn't have got into. Right. Or something happened that shouldn't have happened. I, I don't feel dirty. I don't feel greed. I feel clean. I feel we laughed. We had a good time. We talked about the things of God. We had hope when we left. Right. Some good fruits. Amen. And he says, without partiality. Hmm. Amen. Without partiality. I need you to help me with that one right there. What does it mean without partiality? What does it mean to you if somebody is impartial? Don't choose the side. I'm sorry? Don't choose a side. Please say it a little bit louder. Don't take sides. Don't take sides. Not even if it's family. You're going to focus on what is right. 
not even if it's your friends. Because your friends and your family are going to say, hey, look, you know, blood's thicker than water. Do you know what they mean by that? Do you understand what that term means, blood's thicker than water, when it comes to church activities and not to make a decision? Blood's thicker than water. Me and you being kin to each other and the blood that goes through our veins, that's more important than that baptism of water for church that made you a member of that church. And so you're going you're gonna to stick with me. That's what that means. But when it comes down to doing what's right, are you impartial? Did you know that Paul said to Timothy in his writings to a pastor, he said, do absolutely nothing by partiality. So you better think about that. Okay? Because everybody in here has people who are in their inner circle that they like more than others. Now some of you super saints are going to say, nope, I like everybody the same. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's not the first lie you've told. Right. right. Or either you don't like anybody at all. Is that what you mean by that? Right. <laughs> you don't like anybody. Is, is it okay to like some people more than others? Is it normal? Yes. yes, it is. It is. But it would be wrong just if I like Brother David more than I like Brother Yerby and they have an issue, I cannot allow the fact that I like him more than I like him to determine my decision on this situation. Right. Correct. I can't do that. And Brother David might say, well, but, we're, but we're friends. How could you agree with him and we're friends? I thought we'd go way back. I gave you a cup of coffee, brother. <laughs> that's, you know, that's the way people think. Right. They have leverage on them. That's the what they think. Because maybe we're fishing together, hunting together. We, we, hey, they think they have leverage on you, but God loves a man or a woman who in a conversation around the table, maybe there's three or four ladies sitting around the table, somebody's name comes up and something is said it ought not be said and you refuse to get involved in the conversation and you will not bash that person because you don't know all the facts. And they say, hey, there's two things that make people nervous. Well, there's probably more. But there's two things that I know make Baptists nervous. And that is if you're sitting around the table or, or you're sitting around people in the house Number one, you're not talking very much. It makes them nervous. Or there's food out and you're not eating very much. <laughs> so what do they say to you? Is the food not good? You don't want some more? No, I'm just watching what I'm eating. And they say, well, you know, you haven't said nothing about this. Don't you have an opinion on this? And they, they, you make them nervous because they want to pull you out in case they're doing something that's a little shady. They want to dirty you with the shade. They want you to say something. But a wise person does not get engaged in those kind of circumstances and they're impartial. Do you know that if a person is wealthy in a church... It's hard for that wealthy person to get a fair shake. 
Because if the pastor shows that person impartiality, the people who are envious of him still think that he made that decision because he's a money man. So the more you have, the less usually people are going to think that you got your way there because people were partial to you. Well, I'm really fixing to get in hot water right here. I'm going to step into it, though. Women grow up, in, especially in public schools. They grow up, and everything is based in public schools on your appearance. And so it's great partiality takes place in public schools based upon your appearance. So when you get saved and you come into church, they don't want that going on in the assembly. And so if a woman gets advanced over her, and she's a very pretty woman, what is she thinking? Well, the pastor likes her because she's prettier than I am. Or the teacher, that's the way people think. So what do we have to do? We have to consistently work at develop our relationships with each other by being in proportion. Regardless of how somebody looks, or how much money they have, or don't have, or how successful they are, or how talented they are. You understand? God wants us to be impartial. So can you recognize that? That could you go to a person that you know is going to be honest with you? That's going to look at you? That maybe I am your friend, but you'll know that I'll tell you the truth. Right. That if you needed an honest answer, and you have come to me with things, you said, Brother Roger, what do you think about this? You know what? I like to be liked. And I'd like to tell you what you'd like to hear. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Because if I tell her what she just likes to hear, she won't trust me anymore if it was a bad counsel. And I'm just saying, if you want godly counsel, you got to look at some people that are... And then what about without hypocrisy? Amen? Without hypocrisy. You know what that is. Can't be one way at the house and one way at the church game. Right. Just can't be that. That's right. you got to be the same. Amen. you got to work at that. We've gone out of time. Verse number 18 says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. There's that fruit again. And the wise man is looking to make peace and to make unity at the house of God. That sincerity, godly sincerity, godly sincerity. Okay, let's go back to our text in Proverbs 1 and we'll pray and go to the house. Okay? Any questions so far? Maybe you have some insight on something that we have said that might help us. Um, Proverbs chapter number 1. I want you to read the book of Proverbs. I want you to study it, and we're going to look into some things here, but I do want you to see the purpose of it, why it was written. And the Bible says the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, verse 1, the king of Israel, to know wisdom, to know it, to recognize it, and instruction, to perceive. That, that thing about perception, that's like having a nose that can smell what's going on. And sometimes there's a dead rat in the wall and you can't prove it. But your nose tells you that there's something wrong. Correct? Right. You need that perception to perceive the words of understanding and to receive the instruction of wisdom and justice and judgment. And it gives subtlety to the simple. 
I'm amazed at how many people always use and think and believe the word subtlety is evil. It is simply not true. The book of Proverbs was written to make you a subtle person. Don't show all your cards. Right. And to give a simple a simple person some subtlety. When the serpent came after Eve in the garden, the serpent, when God made the serpent, was the serpent good? Hmm? Tell me, was it? Was everything good when God that through creation? Was it all very good? Right. So the 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 what that creature had was great subtlety. But it was good subtlety until somebody got a hold of it and influenced it. And you should use subtlety for good and not let the adversary take your subtlety and misuse it. Okay? Good. A parent needs subtlety dealing with teenagers. Yeah. You've got to know how to ask the right questions. That you always know the answer. You're not being a hypocrite. If I'm asking you, where were you at uh, Friday night at 10 o'clock? And I already know the answer. But what am I doing? I am looking for being crafty. Yeah. He caught them speaking with God. And he was crafty about it. He caught them. So you got to be smarter sometimes than your kids. You know that, don't you? Preach, <laughs> brother. <laughs> Amen. All right. Any questions? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you for listening tonight. I hope it wasn't boring to you. I hope it was helpful to you. And I hope in your heart that you'll go home and say, God, I don't want to be a fool. God, please help me to develop in my life godly wisdom. It will recognize it.